The Mark Stein Show. And now, here's Mark. Happy Easter Monday to listeners in various parts of the Commonwealth, various parts of Europe, and I believe one or two spots in the United States where this day is observed. A few months back, when the wretched ball bouncers of the NBA were groveling before the Chi-Coms and kissing off those impertinent, treasonous types on the streets of Hong Kong, I said that the geniuses of the Chamber of Commerce faux-conservative right who got America yoked to China had got it absolutely backwards. Thirty years ago, their bet was that economic success would make China more like us. Today, it's pretty clear it's making us more like them. Not just on freedom of speech, which those gutless NBA twerps will sell out every time, but as we now see... On this Easter Monday, freedom of movement, you can't leave the house, and freedom of religion, you get fined 500 bucks if you're caught parking in a church parking lot, and basic human decency, like the 10 cops who dragged that guy off a Philadelphia bus for not wearing a face mask. Dr. Fauci, or maybe Chairman Fauci, now says that when some of us are permitted to leave our homes, we should have to carry so-called antibody passports, signifying that the state has approved us for being out and about. Your papers, please. He has also said that he hopes the traditional social greeting of shaking a person's hand never returns. The handshake is one of the oldest social rituals. Uh, It arose as a sign of trust. You extended your right hand to show you had no weapon in it. That's why it's generally prevalent in traditionally high-trust societies, such as uh, the Anglosphere, America, Britain, Canada, Australia. Its loss would be a very clear sign that we are accelerating into low-trust societies, where the hand is just another weapon. April 13th, 2020. From my house arrest to yours. It's your Stein Show Corona Copia. Everybody was Kung Flu fighting. Those stats climbed fast as lightning. In fact, it was a little bit frightening. Chai comes of expert timing. There were funky Chinamen from funky Wuhan town. They were chopping bats up, they were chowing them down. It's an ancient Chinese dish, and everybody says delish. Chairman Z will book your flight, you'll be in Italy tonight, and everybody starts Kung Flu dying. Those jackums can't stop lying. Fake test kits they're supplying. The whole world they're Shanghaiing. There was funky Dr. Ted Trust from the funky WHO. He said, she is the big boss. 
I gotta blow He made his vow and then he said Hey folks, there ain't no human spread So go hug a Chinaman when you're out strolling in Milan So everybody is Kung Flu spreading It's at your sister's wedding It's in Prince Charles's bedding and ISIS next beheading. You're under house arrest. Dark Fauci says it's best that you don't leave the nest. He'll keep you all abreast when they stop kung flu fighting. Okay, that's enough of that. Happy John Stark Day for those of us in New Hampshire. He's the general who gave us our state motto, the one that's on the license plates, live free or die. Gee, what a thought. Live free or die. Death is not the worst of evils, unquote. Uh, These days it's live free and die. Don't even think about leaving the house. How bad is all this house arrest? From Slate magazine, a lady called Ms. Reese Piper writes, quote, As I ran my hands through my roommate's chest hair, it hit me that I hadn't had sex with a man in three years. That was the length of time that had passed since I'd fallen in love with a new friend on a backpacking trip to Europe and subsequently realized I was more attracted to women. Even after that relationship fizzled, I started hanging out at lesbian bars, continued dating women, and even came out to mother. In my life, the chapter on heterosexual romance, I thought, was closed. But times are different now. Anything is possible in a pandemic. I held up my hands as he lifted my sweater over my head. Unquote. Can you believe this? This this woman was a healthy, well-adjusted lesbian. And this wretched quarantine has driven the poor thing back onto the cheerless, desperate wasteland of heterosexuality. This guy who's lifting her sweater up with his hand hovering over the brass strap, is probably one of these new man types who's dedicated his life to designing a better untucked shirt or some such. How's that going to work out for her? Several of these same states ordering you to stay at home have passed laws forbidding gay conversion therapy. So suddenly it's illegal to pray away the gay, but it's okay to shelter in place away the gay? The world is descending into madness. Looking at the big picture beyond de-lesbianized, confined women, as we start yet another week, the five countries with the most coronavirus deaths, uh, for whatever that statistic's worth, America, 22,000, Italy, 20,000, Spain, 18,000, France, 14,000, The UK just shy of 11,000. However, if we were to adjust that to deaths per capita, a concept people have difficulty grasping, as I've learned over recent weeks, that hit parade would look very different. Uh, Number one, the worst, Spain. Number two, Italy. Number three, France. The UK, fourth. And America, fifth. Uh, So you could make the case that Trump has 
actually done a fabulous job and relative to population has managed to hold down the death rate uh, to something far lower than most Western nations. For example, Britain and America got on the Italy track about the same time and proportionately Britain has had twice as many deaths. We're all glad Boris is out of the hospital, but underneath all that Churchillian blitz spirit blather, there are hard questions to be answered about the UK's management of the situation uh, as there are for France's. Trump, by contrast, uh, has managed to use the military and other resources to find a workaround around the sclerotic bureaucracy with respect to the health crisis. But obviously it's a different matter with respect to the economy. The IRS is congratulating itself on having gotten the first batch of those $1,200 payments out on Friday, and the rest are on schedule to arrive sometime between now and September. And every day, businesses close uh, people lose their jobs. In politics, there's a simple rule. Uh, gratitude lingers less than resentment. Uh, you can ask the first uh, George Bush, who, uh, who, who uh, saw the end of the Cold War on his watch, all about that. Governments of all kinds, globalist technocrats, as in France, or populist nationalists, as in Italy, uh, risk getting blamed for this the longer the global economy stays stuck in its uh, dead parrot sketch mode. But in the land where everything is policed except crime, the lockdown gets tighter. Good evening, all. It's your Brit Wanker Copper of the Day. Yes, so far we've had winners from the Metropolitan Police, the Derbyshire Police, the Northamptonshire Police. Today we're proud to present this eagle-eyed constable from the South Yorkshire Police, who spotted a man with one of his kids on their front lawn, their front garden, and ordered them back inside the house. Yeah. So you're saying I'm not allowed on the front garden? Did everyone hear that? Yes. You not allowed. I'm recording. Can you step back a little bit, please? On your whole can I just estimate that? Leave, leave it, leave it. No, she says, says we're not allowed we on the garden. garden. She didn't say anything to us. Well, I, I can't speak for anybody else, right? But this is a reason. You know when you look around and there's nobody out, it's because... You're not allowed on your front gardens, people. You do not want your children yeah, but I'm to get my garden. You just... just the virus does not stop on your f***ing. A thousand, a thousand people died yesterday. A thousand people. Come on. You're, you're in a car with another person less than two metres apart. With special powers again. You told me you had special powers about 20 minutes ago. We have government powers to ask people to stay indoors. I don't have special powers that are going to stop me having COVID-19 or getting it. Where does it say we can't go on the front garden? What do you do for your hours exercise and stuff? You can go for your hours exercise. You can go walking for your hours exercise. Yeah, I spend my hours exercise on the front garden. An Englishman's home is his dungeon. Isn't that the saying? The constable had been watching him for some time. No, I'm going to I'm going to shopping in a minute. I'm going to Aldi. You've already been to the shop once. Yeah. I've seen you with two cans of pop. Yeah. Yeah, that guy's abusing the privilege of being permitted to leave the house for an essential trip 
to the grocery store once every 48 hours or two weeks or whatever it is by now. Not allowed in your gardens, everyone. The virus doesn't care whether it's in the street or in the garden, but nor does the copper. She hasn't been tested, has she? If it's in the street, it could be on her shoes and she's just tracked it into the garden. She's the health risk to them. One final thought. South Yorkshire police are the ones who turned a blind eye for this entire century so far for the sex slavery that was truly pandemic in Rotherham uh, and other towns. Indeed, the girls I talked to in Rotherham were emphatic that the police were in on it, not just turning a blind eye, but uh, colluding and enabling it. The girls were told the police needed evidence, evidence such as contemporaneous diaries, was then handed in to South Yorkshire Police, and a week later the girls went back to the cop shop to be told, oops, sorry, we've misplaced that. Could happen to anyone. Uh, This particular constables' colleagues idled in their cars, chit-chatting with at least one predator, uh, as I had recounted to me in vivid detail, with at least one predator as he was fellated by a 13-year-old girl and the coppers just made small talk with him. Most of our Brit wanker coppers are just petty tin pot twerps, but South Yorkshire police is evil, depraved and corrupt. And that wretched, worthless constabulary has yet to pay a price for it. Opinion among Islamic scholars is divided as to whether the coronavirus was invented by Americans to afflict Muslims or was invented by Allah to afflict Americans. In Iran, the supreme leader, the Ayatollah Khamenei, yeah, I know, I thought he was dead too, but apparently he's back just in time for Easter. The Ayatollah Hamani has come down on the side that uh, coronavirus was invented by Allah to afflict Americans. He declared in a televised address that, quote, fighting over toilet paper and long lines for buying guns during the coronavirus outbreak are the logical and natural outcome of the philosophy that governs Western civilization, unquote. The Supreme Leader added that the toilet paper fighting demonstrates America's weakness because it lacks, quote, the powerful hand of the infallible imam. Indeed, who needs toilet paper when you've got the powerful hand of the infallible imam? Meanwhile, across the Persian Gulf, in the land of their mortal enemies, disease stalks King Salman's many palaces. The House of Saud is somewhat promiscuous with its princes. They're like the number 27 bus. There'll be another one along any minute. It's not like that in the House of Windsor, where the style and dignity of Prince and Royal Highness are confined to the direct line of succession uh, and to children and grandchildren of the sovereign. But in Saudi Arabia, everyone who matters is a prince, and it's one reason the place is so corrupt, because they all need their piece of the action. Nevertheless... It is somewhat remarkable to learn that no fewer than 150 Saudi princes have tested positive for the Chinese coronavirus. I think that's even more than members of the Iranian parliament. Oh, and while we're on the subject of Islam's contribution to the gaiety of life... It's your Monday Mohammed.
You know, our last Monday, Mohammed was a big shot imam in Syracuse, New York, who was complaining that uh, if you're a devout Muslima, these ugly coronavirus face masks really clash with your niqab. Uh, it's so hard to find a mask that matches the bag. Uh, so today I thought I'd pick a Monday Mohammed, Mohammed Ranger, who's added to life's rich tapestry by posting his wife's uh, I assume it's his wife, as she's fully covered. At any rate, uh, what appears to be his wife's efforts to teach the family rooster to say Allahu Akbar. Well, he's nailed the Allahu, mainly because that seems to be close to a general chicken squawk. It's the Akbar he seems to have no interest in. Ah, give it up. That's an infidel chicken. Five will get you ten, they sold you a Jewish chicken. That's why I've I've never really been into pet tricks, because they're rarely as good as they purport to be. Uh, And that was even before they were made a criminal act in the United Kingdom, when the Brit wanker copper uh, arrested that guy for teaching his dog to do the Heil Hitler salute. Uh, No chance of uh, getting arrested for Allahu Akbar, of course, which is a harmless Arabic greeting, meaning nothing to see here. So come on, let's give it one more shot. How's it coming along? Wait a minute. Run that by me again. Georgie's got it. That rooster is in the express check-in lane for his 72 chicks in paradise, no question. Uh, This is a terrific quarantine activity for any excitable young jihad chaps having to shelter in place. Many, many suicide bombers are feeling suicidal right now, uh, and not in a good way. Uh, because they've been told by ISIS uh, not to self-detonate, but to self-isolate and to steer clear of Europe, because the filthy infidels are even filthier with this infection that's going around. You don't want to blow yourself up and arrive in paradise with all your body parts testing positive and contaminating the virgin. So why not take advantage of the jihad downturn by training your chicken to say, Allahu Akbar? Allah Akbar! That cockerel is so on top of it. It's a great shame all the restaurants are closed. It'd be great to send him into some fancy upscale eatery in Beverly Hills, uh, have him squawk, Allahu Akbar! And watch all the limousine liberals dive under the table. I'm going to train my chicken uh, to do uh, like the supreme uh, leader Ayatollah Khamenei and squawk, death to the great Satan. I'm going to call him uh, 
Chicken Supreme Ayatollah. At any rate, my thanks to today's Monday Mohammed, Mohammed Ranger, for giving us a preview of the chicken wing of ISIS. One more time. Yeah, baby. Cockadoodle kaboom. Evocative essays, scintillating stories, timely transcripts, even satisfying songs. All of these and more live on at steinonline.com for members of the Mark Stein Club. You've heard him on the radio and seen him on TV, but that is just the tip of the iceberg. From the Stein Online back catalog to exclusive access to Stein's new content, membership in the Mark Stein Club is a must-have for fans of America's undocumented anchorman. Tune in to Stein's nightly tales for our time. Join the conversation in one of his fortnightly live Clubland Q&As, or sit back and take in a Sunday poem. Mark Stein Club members also get advance notice of Stein's live appearances. Join the Mark Stein Club now by heading to www.steinonline.com club. Oh, you know what this music means. Mark's Mailbox is on the air. Robert Fox, a first-week founding member of the Stein Club, writes, It seems that Trump has been somewhat bridled when it comes to expressing fury toward Beijing for what they've unleashed on the rest of us. This is a slow-motion and elongated version of 9-11. I'm disappointed in how Trump seems to be tiptoeing on eggshells with regard to placing the blame where it belongs and proposing measures to punish. He has mentioned in the daily press briefings about how China is committed to buying $250 billion in U.S. agricultural products, which they need anyway. It isn't like they are doing us any favors, but that seems to be chump change compared to what the tab is going to be for us once this is in the rearview mirror. Why doesn't Trump go on a rant about China and tell them to stick the trade agreement up their arse? I mean, we're spending 10-figure sums, maybe even 11-figure, on making sure we don't completely end up looking like a movie set for the next Mad Max sequel. If Trump is afraid of the farmers raising hell over getting sideways with the Chinese, why doesn't the Treasury Department simply cut a check for $250 billion to buy the farm commodities that were going to China, retrofit power plants to burn corn, wheat and beans, and use that to generate electricity? We withhold agricultural products from a massive nation hostile towards us that needs it. We provide a boost to the farm economy at home and we produce a surplus of cheap electricity to power our comeback. And if the Chinese or anyone else doesn't like that, then we can pull other rugs out from under them, starting with the expulsion of the 300,000 Chinese nationals attending our colleges and universities. Then we can begin to move manufacturing activity to the U.S., maybe a bold and aggressive military alliance with our Pacific Rim partners right at their doorstep. Are those proposals too radical and provocative? Well, at least we're not infecting their population with a virus that will quadruple their average daily mortality rate. What would you call that? You should run for president on that program, Robert. Uh, The standard defense of... uh, Neville Chamberlain for his I have here a piece of paper from Herr Hitler stick, the peace in our time and all that, is that Britain could not have gone to war in September 1938. It needed the extra 12 months to ramp up war production. Of course, that extra year also massively emboldened Germany. That's the difficulty of trying to balance 
uh, the practical and the psychological, as it were. America doesn't have the problem of trying to ramp up war production. Its war production is fine. Tanks, planes, crews, missiles, uh, you name it. America makes that, and China makes every other bloody thing. That's, that's why it's powerful. It's not a resource-rich nation. That's one reason, for example, why it's taking over Africa and large tracts of Australia and Canada. It's a resource-poor nation, but it's basically the world's manufacturer. Uh, And so that's the ramping up we need to do. Because if China were to make good on its threat to withhold medicines from the United States, you'd have a first-rate fighter jet being piloted by a guy whose irritable bowel syndrome medication ran out six weeks ago. There's already plenty of evidence that China has not merely been threatening to withhold, but is actually already hoarding the world's medical supplies for its own population. So Trump, in a certain sense, has to buy a little time because he's got to totally reverse the biggest strategic decision America made in the last half century the decision to get into bed with the Chicoms. I don't rule out that the Chinese have acted the way they have, at least partly because Trump was the first president in three decades to push back on trade, and it was hurting them. So when this bat came along, why not use Batty Bat to teach the world a lesson as to who's boss man? I said on Rush a couple of weeks ago that the greatest disaster that could happen is that China emerges from this stronger than ever. And right now, that's not a bad way to bet. America's hurting, Europe's hurting, China's laughing. And as you say, uh, $250 for American farmers is chump change compared to what's being flushed down the toilet right now. Bringing medicine home, bringing manufacturing home is the big prize. The faster that happens the more unbridled, in your word, the president can be. Mark Stein's Last Call. Do you remember April 9th, 2003? An iconic moment from the invasion of Iraq, from that brief interregnum when we had won the war and not yet commenced losing the peace, when Baghdad citizens joined with their American liberators to topple the giant yet hollow statue of Saddam Hussein in the centre of the city. Just in the last few moments, a US Marine tank with a large chain has pulled the statue of Saddam Hussein down. This giant statue crumbled at the knees and toppled over. It's still hanging from the pedestal, but as it collapsed, a great roar came up from the cloud. There it goes. It has fallen down to the ground. It has come apart. The crowd is, is, is going mad, rushing towards it. They've been pelting it with stones. Uh, the Marines are, are trying to hold them back a little bit, but generally letting them run through and, uh, and express their emotions. People are jumping up and down on top of the statue on the ground, their arms raised in the air. It is an incredibly symbolic moment for the people of Iraq. That cheesy statue of Saddam was, in fact, a relatively recent addition to the landscape of central Baghdad. And to put it up in Fardu Square in 1983... The dictator was obliged to destroy 
the monument that was already there. The monument to the unknown soldier designed by the architect Raphael Cedici as a contemporary evocation of the parabolic arch from the Sassanid palace at Stefsifon, um, the ancient capital of the Parthian Empire. Uh, Chedeci's monument had opened in 1959 in a pre-Bathist Iraq, and thus it had no purchase on the new dictator. Raphael Chedeci was the most eminent Iraqi architect of his generation. He designed the national tobacco warehouses, the Hamoud Villa, the central post office. There were some things he didn't want to do. In 1974, he was jailed for life for refusing to work on a government project favoured by that year's dictator, Al Bakr. Two years later, his life imprisonment suddenly ended, and he walked out of Abu Ghraib when the new dictator, Saddam, decided he needed Iraq's best architect to spruce up the capital city for an international conference. That relationship didn't outlast Saddam replacing Chadichi's monument to the unknown soldier, with Saddam's monument to himself. He skedaddled out of Baghdad and resigned himself to a life of Lifetime Achievement Awards in exile. So it's my great pleasure to announce that the recipient of the 2015 Tamayu's Lifetime Achievement Award for Architecture is the architect, author, theorist and educator, Rafaat Chadurci. The recipient is a celebrated architect whose designs of iconic buildings and national monuments still define the skyline of the city of Baghdad. Except for that destroyed monument. After the hideous Saddam statue was torn down, there was talk these last 17 years of getting Mr. Chadurci to rebuild his original monument to the unknown soldier in that square. It didn't happen, and now it never can. Dead of the Chinese coronavirus at the age of 93, Rafaad Chadurji. There have been many dance crazes over the years, the jitterbug, the mambo, the twist, the bump. But do you remember how to do the funky gibbon? Now will you give me a new? Ooh! Will you give me another? Ooh! Ooh! Now will you give me a new? Do, do, do the funky gibbon We are here to show you how Ooh, 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 the funky gibbon The funky gibbon Just like you, so come on, do the funky gibbon now For me some scarlet gibbons, scarlet gibbons for my hair. Funky gibbon. I have a vague memory of them doing that uh, on TV and throwing in a bit of uh, tie a yellow gibbon round the old oak tree. Number four in Britain in 1975. Number 77. On America's Billboard Hot 100 in 1976, The Goodies. That's Bill Oddy, Graham Garden, and the one in the Union Jack waistcoat, Tim Brooke Taylor. I often feel double-barreled names can become 
a bit of a polysyllabic pileup, but Tim's was unusually mellifluous, Timbrook Taylor. At the age of five and a half, he was expelled from primary school and having got his rebellious youth out of his system, then sailed on to Winchester and Cambridge, where he was a star of the Footlights Club, whose other luminaries at the time included half of Monty Python, John Cleese and Graham Chapman. There were also two fellows called Bill Oddy and Graham Garden, with whom he formed the goodies. Speaking of my own school days, there was a song we always used to sing after away rugger matches that we won. It went, uh, Oh, Sir Jasper, do not touch me, repeated twice, and then... As she lay beneath the lily-white sheets with nothing on but socks, with a very slight modification, the goodies managed to turn that into a Christmas hit, and with only a very teensy-weensy cleaning up. Oh, Father Christmas, do not touch me. Father Christmas, do not touch me. Father Christmas, do not touch me. Me as she stood beneath the mistletoe. Oh, me name is Father Christmas. He informed her as he met her. She said, Good grief, it's seven years since I sent you a letter. He said, I can't stand little girls. Bigger ones are better. And this is what she said. You never hear that on the 24-7 Christmas Song channels, I wonder why. From 1970 to 1982, the goodies were a fixture on BBC TV and on the CBC and the ABC and the NZBC et al. And in reruns, um, pretty much somewhere or other ever since. Tim also spent half a century on the BBC's parody quiz show, I'm Sorry I Haven't a Clue in which one was obliged to engage in parlour games such as singing the words of one song to the tune of another. For example, here's Tim Brooke Taylor singing the lyrics of the lugubrious 1987 rock hit by the Smiths, Girlfriend in a Coma, to that endearing melody of 1929, Tiptoe Through the Tubes. Girlfriend in a coma, I know, I know, that is serious. So, girlfriend in a coma, I know. I know. It's really serious. There were times when I could have murdered her, but you know, I'd hate anything to happen to her. Girlfriend in a Coma is much improved by that tune. A lovely man and a great comic spirit, dead of the Chinese coronavirus at the age of 79, Tim Brooke Taylor. As Tim's old footlights chums in Monty Python like to put it. Inquisition. But likewise, nobody expects to put one over on the Spanish Inquisition. Yet in a certain sense, Enrique Mujica did. The turbulent history of 20th century Spain swept in and out of his life. His father was a Basque violinist who died during the Civil War. His brother was murdered by Etta, the Basque separatists. He was a radical socialist student, and he played a big part in the first university protests against the Franco regime, for which he was arrested and thrown in prison for three months. When Franco died, 
He stood for Parliament and eventually became Justice Minister. Además, ejerció de ministro de Justicia en el gobierno de Felipe González entre 1988 y 1991 y en 2000 fue nombrado Defensor del Pueblo, cargo en el que estuvo hasta 2010. In 1990, petitioned by Cristina Alberti to increase female representation in the General Council of the Judiciary, he replied, Have they installed kitchens in the new offices? Uh, which Senora Alberti did not find very funny. But here's the point. Enrique Mujica was Jewish, and when he became Justice Minister in 1988, He was the first Jew to be a member of the Spanish government since the establishment of the Inquisition by Ferdinand and Isabella over half a millennium earlier in 1478. Dead of the Chinese coronavirus at the age of 88, Enrique Mujica. On est sous l'eau. On est dans la pesanteur la plus totale. En dessous, eh bien, un bleu de plus en plus profond. Un monde entier à découvrir. Qu'est-ce qu'on attend? That's from the film The Odyssey, a Franco-Belgian production about Jacques Cousteau, starring Audrey Tautou. Among those who worked on the film was the Belgian sound engineer Marc Engels, who won a César Award for Best Sound on that picture, which is pretty good, as you just heard. Here he is picking up his prize. Well, I wanted to honor Marc Engel's achievement as a sound engineer in winning a César Award for Best Sound, uh, but the sound engineering at that award ceremony for Best Sound is atrocious. Uh, so instead, let's have something from a film he made called I'm Dead, But I Have Friends. Je vais vous raconter un grand histoire belge. Jean-Pierre Coste. Non, il n'y a pas de doute, c'est aujourd'hui. Et c'est terminé. La cérémonie est terminée. Saboter les funérailles de son propre frère, ça c'est vraiment un truc de malade mental. Alors tu sais quoi Je vais venir chez toi et je vais démonter la gueule. Espèce d'enculé Dead of the Chinese coronavirus at the age of 54, Marc Engels, sound engineer of I'm Dead But I Have Friends. He did. One of them, Eric Rochon, tweeted... Ce virus est une saloperie et notre douleur est infinie. The last part translates as our grief is infinite. The first part I don't think I can say on the air, but I agree with its sentiments. I'll be back this evening, North American Eastern Time, for the latest episode of our current and highly pertinent tale for our time. Daniel Defoe's Journal of the Plague Year. And don't forget, coming up this weekend, a special all-request edition of our Song of the Week. If you're a Mark Stein Club member and you'd like me to play a favorite song, leave it in the comments section here. The song, uh, your favorite version, why you like it, and maybe I'll play it this coming Sunday. Happy Easter Monday, happy Passover, happy General John Stark Day. Live free or die.
Join us next time for another edition of The Mark Stein Show. The Mark Stein Show is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. All rights reserved.